Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Where Brains Meet Beauty family. I am over the moon excited to introduce you to our summer sponsor, Grin. My team at Base Beauty uses the Grin creator management platform every day. It's an incredible tool. Let me tell you why we love it and why you need it. So your team already works with influencers, but they're probably getting lost in spreadsheets and busy work. They're combing through a messy web of communications and content your creators post, wondering if the campaigns are actually delivering a return on your investment. Well, that's where Grin comes in. Grin is the number one creator management platform, helping e-commerce brands connect with their audience through the power of creator partnerships. It's an all-in-one software that allows you to treat your creators like your brand revolves around them. Because in the creator economy, it does. My team loves that Grin has project management tools that provide for a seamless workflow. Thousands upon thousands of creators already live on Grin, so it's super easy to meet and build organic relationships with them, track the metrics of their content, and pay them all in one platform. Find out how Grin can help you grow your brand. Watch the demo at grin.co. That's G-R-I-N dot C-O. Hi, Esperanza. Hey, Jody. Great to see you. It's great to see you too. I feel like it's been a minute. I'm really excited about this episode. It features Brandon Brown, CEO of Grin, who I am gloriously proud to say is a partner and sponsor of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Yay! Ring the bell. Oh, here, let me find that bell. It's cool to have um, Grin as our sponsor because we actually use this tool in our day-to-day at Base Beauty and the team loves it. And um, the universe just made this happen. And I'm so proud of this partnership. Absolutely. I know whenever I tell um, other folks on our team that our sponsor is Grin, they get super excited because they use it every day and they know how useful the tool is. He did such a good job on this show. I think everyone's going to really love it. Um, There is special Instagram-only content, though. So I have to say, if you're listening to this on a podcasting app, which you actually are, I know you are, um, please head over to our Instagram at Where Brains Needs Beauty Podcast because you'll get special Instagram-only content in our after show. And he played a really fun game with us called Would You Rather Extreme Sports Edition. Yeah, I think it was super fun listening to the different descriptions of the extreme sports. I personally wouldn't do any of them. (laughs) Yeah, there was actually a really fun exchange in the comments on Instagram Live about people saying like, nope, none of these are for me. So basically, (laughs) Brandon has to do these alone or with um, people who are not on the live. Um, So I want to launch into the episode, but before we do, um, I just want to put some thoughts in our listeners' heads about um, what Brandon had to say. And I pulled a few quotes from the conversation. He talked about flirting with the limit and unlocking his full potential as a human. So I just want you to think about those two things as you um, listen to this episode. Let's hop in. Okay. Enjoy this episode with Brandon Brown of Grin. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest for our artistry theme. His company is the number one creator management platform, essentially making it the number one supporter of our newest generation of artists and creators. Please welcome Brandon Brown, CEO of Grin. 
Thank you. Yeah, really excited to be here. Um, before we start with the interview, I want to acknowledge and thank Rin for being a partner and sponsor of Where Brains Meet Beauty. Um, it's like the coolest thing in the world to us that you're our partner. And we've been able to amplify Grin in a variety of ways um, through the past few months. And we use Grin as a tool at my agency-based beauty and my team loves it. So it's a really a meaningful partnership to us. And I want to thank you again. Yeah, likewise. I mean, we're really happy to be a part of it. You know, I enjoyed our, our catch up last week and I think there's a big overlap in both of our audiences. So hopefully today's discussion is valuable and appreciate you guys as a customer and, and everything that you do for the whole space. Well, let's get started with my favorite question since we're a career journey show. I want to take you back in time to your 11 year old self, Brandon. When you're 11 years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? When I was 11 years old, of so long ago. So I, um, I grew up in Northern California, so Sacramento area. And I grew up in action sports. So doing like lots of skateboarding and just being a very active, active kid. And I got into snow skiing and then snowboarding uh, when I was very young. And so I think if you were to go back in time and ask my 11 year old self what I wanted to be, I for sure would have said professional snowboarder. And that was just about the time that I was kind of learning how to go fast down the hill and uh, had a, a great family where we were up in Tahoe all the time snowboarding. And uh, But who would have known? Here I am in tech instead. <laughs> is that a snowboard behind you with the skeletons? This is actually a, that's a skateboard. It's um, a friend of mine uh, who's in that industry gave it to me as, as a gift. And so I have it on my, my wall. Yeah, it's cool. Wall art. Um, so, Brandon, do you feel like you have a need for speed? A need for speed? I don't know that I have a need for speed. I think uh, I, I do well with risk, I think. I don't know that I would say a need for speed. I think um, I like pushing myself. And whether that's in sports or in business, like, I like probably, like, flirting with the limit. That said, like, I don't think that I'm... Uh, dangerous or, or out of line, but I guess you could call it a need for speed maybe is like a simple way to describe it. <laughs> I think of myself as like a preteen teen and, um, you know, playing on my friend's stuff, whether it was like a skateboard or a bike or whatever, um, and being like having the brakes on as tight as possible on that bike going downhill. Like I was, <laughs> I did not want to go fast. I did not want to feel out of control. I did not want to test the limits at all. So I'm fascinated by people who, and I see the, I live right near a great hill where like kids just like dart down on their bikes, like so fast, like hands off the handles. And like, I don't know what it's like to be that person, but I'm so curious about it. So um, is that one of the things that's most appealing about extreme sports to you, this idea of flirting with the limit? Um, I don't know that it, it's necessarily about extreme sports. There was a, there's a, a, a funny video that if people are watching, should go look it up. It's from ice tea and I won't, I won't cuss and use an explicit word on this, this podcast on, on Instagram right now, but it's, uh, it's his definition of effort. So you can fill in the expletive there. And the whole message that he gives in that, that video is creation and, uh, things that like really make you come alive. It comes at like the edge of when you're pushing yourself beyond something that you would normally do. And he uses an example of like, when, when men meet their wife, right? Like it's a moment that is a risk to go up to that person and talk to them if you've never talked to them before. And uh, there's a risk of failure and rejection and you're nervous, but you just like 
say, F it and go across the line. And then not always, but in some moments, right, that ends up being your partner for life. And so I think there's like a, there's definitely some, some realness and knowledge in that. And I think oftentimes like life's most powerful moments for me have been, yeah, when I am like at the edge of my limit, not going beyond my limit, but at the edge of my limit. And uh, it's something that I think is kind of rooted in my DNA. Uh, and I think it, it's been that way since I was young and, and skating and snowboarding and now obviously business building. So Brandon, when I've, um, as an entrepreneur, find myself like this close to a dream coming true, right? Like here's the dream and I've been working, 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 whatever that dream is. It could be a big one or a little one. When I get like this close, I like kind of like, I feel like all the blood leaves my head and like, you know, like drops down to my feet and I get kind of like racy heart and I have a true visceral reaction to being so close. And what happens is my old history takes over and says, Jody, you're wrong for wanting this. Jody, you're um, limited and this isn't for you. Or Jody, you don't belong here. And I'm curious if through the years, you know, when you've been so close to whatever that limit is, um, do, have, do you have a visceral reaction to that? Um, maybe it's different than mine, but I'm just curious if like your body's telling you that you're so close. Um, I wouldn't say it like when I'm so close to achieving something, but I definitely think that there is just like, and not, I don't know if we want to talk so much about like risk taking in action sports, but there is like a moment when, like also when I was young, I would go to the river and so there's a big river here in Sacramento. And what we would do maybe in my early teens was we would jump off these cliffs into the river all the time. Like maybe some are 20 feet, some are 50 feet, but there's a moment when like before you go that you actually have to decide in your head like, I'm going to go anyways. Like, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to do it anyways. I am nervous and scared, but I'm going to keep pushing forward and go anyways. So I think maybe like that, right? Um, for me, it hasn't occurred like when I'm close to something. I think our journey at Grin, which has been a very exciting journey, but it's also been very arduous and long and very challenging and painful. And I think having kind of the perseverance to keep keep going up the hill when it doesn't look great to keep climbing up the hill, I think... Uh, is something that's been valuable. I don't know that I get that like visceral body reaction in those moments, but what I have done is like trained myself to go anyways, right? Like whether it's a conference or a speech or raising money or snowboarding and doing the big jump, like you have to feel the fear, acknowledge it, and then decide to move forward anyways, is how I think about it. I love that. Um, okay, so I do want to jump ahead a little bit. You had a very, very, very cool job um, or in time with Red Bull, right? So you're like a super fanatic, you know, um, extreme sports athlete yourself. And then you get a job with them. <laughs> Basically, like I can't think of a better fit for someone who loves this world. How did you get that job? So I, um, yeah, I agree. And I talk about it a lot because it was a very impactful part of my life. Like that, uh, my career at that brand, I think, just opened my brain up and my mind up to like a different level of things that are possible. So when I went to school, I originally majored in graphic design, which not a lot of people know that, but I had a communication design and then an option in graphic design. That's because I had a love for art and creativity and things when I was younger. And then when I was at uh, school, I went to Chico State, I started basically doing things around campus, like throwing parties, doing like the snowboarding club and having these like big events. And through that, I met one of the, the campus reps at Red Bull, 
uh, it was called a student brand manager. And then that person uh, had asked me to apply for Red Bull when they graduated. Uh, and so I went through that process. I had the kind of the same reaction you just had, which was if I have to have a job in college, this seems like the best job to have. And then through, through that experience, it introduced me to a side of marketing, which fast forward to today is really like colored how we're building our company and how we think about culture and our product. But it really showed me a side of marketing that wasn't like so quantitative, like marketing can be very quantitative and numbers driven for sure, especially digital. There's also a very important part of marketing that's about relationships and people and probably no brand in the world, you know, has mastered that better than Red Bull. Like their whole strategy is how do you create word of mouth in communities that matter? And so it showed me a part of marketing that I really enjoyed and that kind of set me on a trajectory to continue to, to grow my career there outside of college in a bunch of different roles and then into what we're doing now today at Grin, which is building a product that really helps accelerate word of mouth in a way. It's not how we describe it. That's kind of what it does. I mean, I can't think of a company that does did influencer marketing before it was called influencer marketing better than Red Bull. Like they just, you know, created a whole dynamic around support in, in the community and um, relationship building community, building momentum for brand awareness. I mean, it, all that stuff, you know, I'm, I think I'm a little older than you. So like, you know, I've been watching this for a long time. Like they, they knew this decades ago, how valuable this is. And now like, you know, the rest of the world is catching up, but, um, you know, I'm curious to know, like being on the front lines of what we didn't call it influencer marketing, but it is um, at Red Bull. What was the most memorable part of their partnership marketing for you um, in that time when you were working there? Um, well, so they, the, their formal name for it, I don't know if it still is, but this is before social. They called it opinion leader, opinion leader programs. So it was like, how do you go build brand outcome in these really hard to reach communities, skateboarding, surfing, graffiti, hip-hop, fashion, beauty, these like communities that oftentimes outsiders are not welcomed. They're actually rejected. Like, and what I found in that, in that environment was that if you don't actually, like if you're not actually adding value to whatever the culture is, like let's call it skateboarding, like it's really hard for a brand to come into skateboarding and be perceived as credible unless they're actually doing things that help accelerate skateboarding as a discipline and they're actually giving back to the community in a really really real and honest and authentic way and so how do you do that well you do that by supporting the people that are really the tastemakers in those communities whether it's skateboarding or surfing or fashion and so what i learned there was that the relationship that the brand has with the person who actually has the influence before social media is actually like the critical ingredient for it to work because you can pay someone to pretend like they like you, no problem. Like you can say, hey, look, I'll give you a bunch of money, say that you like me, but as a brand, but if, if there is actually isn't a relationship between the brand and in this case, the creator, but let's call it like the skate shop owner or the fashion brand entrepreneur who's actually the brand owner, then it's just gonna come off as just fake and transactional and people are gonna be able to see right through it. And so, you're right, like, you know, it's a little bit of a legacy brand, but that whole brand was built through word of mouth and they understood that the key to driving word of mouth was giving people experiences that they could talk about. Um, and so it was a very formative, formative experience. And then, you, tr you know, I know we're not talking about Grin at this moment, but you fast forward to our approach today, 
Like we solve the problem of influencer marketing and working with creators very differently than our competitors. Like Grin is not a marketplace where it's hyper transactional. It's, it's a system designed to build direct relationships between brands and creators and keep them organized. And a lot of that's rooted in my time at Red Bull and what I learned there and how, you know, a, a global brand really does it very well. Well, you helped me with my segue because I was going to um, move on to talking about Grin. Before you tell me why you started this business, I want to know in that moment, years ago, what was your definition of success? So, you you know, you're about to start this business. What did success look like for you? And this is a judgment-free zone. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I've always felt like, okay, money and like money and accomplishment will come. That was never the goal for me. Like the goal for me was feeling like there's this, I have this internal kind of calling and desire, whether it was Grin or some other product, but it was really about like testing my personal and professional limits and unlocking my full potential as a human. And that sounds like a really big statement, but through building a company, like it forces me to, to get up and get in the gym and have good relationships with my family and live this like well-balanced life such that I can show up as the CEO at Grin and actually deliver. So for me, success was like, yeah, we, we want to make money and we've been really great at doing that thus far. But it was always about this like deeper calling to, tr to try to pursue something bigger for me and really like minimize regret when I'm older. And yeah, just I want to be one of those people who always like talked about starting a company and felt like it was really in them and then never did it and had regrets you know, 20 or 30 years later. And so that was really kind of, it sounds silly, but almost like in a way, like fear of regret was like the initial push. And our definition of success was just build something with legacy that's meaningful that we can look back on in 20 years and really be proud of. And if we do that well, then we'll all be compensated along the way and we'll solve interesting problems and we'll have fun doing it. That was how we approached it. I feel like you and I should plan a workout together because I think we can have a lot of fun because the... The, think, the thinking in my mind, well, I thought success was about money, like for sure. <laughs> I thought that. But then as I grew and evolved a little bit more, I realized every day is an opportunity for me to grow as a human. So it's like I spend most of my time on me through the catalysts of my work, my podcast, my book, my other stuff, right? My, my family life. But it's really for me to grow as a human being. And I feel like that's very tied to what you're saying is like unlocking your potential, right? I want to make the most of every day. We don't have unlimited time here, right? Like we only get what we get. So I want to um, really, really squeeze the juice out of it. Yeah, I agree completely. Like I have entrepreneur friends who have had like various levels of success. And like one of the things that we'll talk about is like, this inside joke, right? This inside joke that like success and achievement actually brings sustained happiness or fulfillment. And like people believe that until you actually go like achieve something that has always been your dream. There's this, like last year, like two years ago, I told the team this story I heard on a podcast. It was, it was, it was basically this podcast host was talking to this other guy and he was like, you know, life is like this, uh, you know, life is like you get out of school and you hop on this ladder. And like, as soon as you get out of school, you hop on this ladder and you're like working every day to try to climb the rungs of the ladder. And it's like, it's hard. Like you're trying to get up and climb another rung of the ladder and you pull yourself up and you pull yourself up. And then one day when you're on that ladder, what you realize is at the top, a small little bag appears. And it's super interesting because you're like, whoa, this looks like a treasure bag. Like, what is this? 
So then you're like, you start to become obsessed with trying to see what's inside the bag. So you're every day you're climbing, you're pulling yourself up rung by rung by rung to get up to the, the top to see what's inside this bag. And then the podcast host looks over at the guy and he says, the guy's like on the edge of his seat. He's like, I've seen inside the bag, you know? And then the, the guy who's hearing the story is like, tell me what's inside the bag. And he looks over very calmly at him and he says, the bag's empty. He's like, but you still have to go up to the top of the ladder and look for yourself. And so it's, um, that's, that's a story I heard from a podcast from the founder of Tom's. Um, uh, this guy, Blake Mykoski, told that story on a podcast. And it's so true because it's like, yeah, it's like the inside joke of life. And you see it in athletes and entrepreneurs who have these, these crazy dreams and then they achieve the dreams and they spin out, right? It's because I think they forgot to do what you're doing along the way, which is like, realize that there's a lot of other ways to be fulfilled. And that said, we still want to win and we want to build a big company and we want to, we want to, to do something that's really meaningful, but it's not the only thing that matters. Brandon, before um, we hear the um, the inception story of Grin, I want to tell you a story. I, I really did for a long time think that money <laughs> money was the reason. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say it. I thought that's what success was. And a few years ago, I was in the food store in my neighborhood in the bread aisle, and I ran into one of my neighbors who had heard me for years lament about how hard it is <laughs> to run my business and, you know, every day is um, a hustle. And she asked me how work was going. And I s- said to her, well, I'm not, I'm working really hard, but I'm not making a lot of money. And then like right next to the potato rolls, I realized, wait a minute, if money was the most important thing to me, I just wouldn't do this. I'd go get a job at Lauder or something and, you know, some senior level and just, you know, get a paycheck. But I'm wealthy in time and flexibility, right? And and then I just like, <laughs> like looking at the potato roll package, realized like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I have so many stories on that, that same, uh, like that same tip in that same lane where yeah, things that I thought would occur never actually occurred with like how I think I thought things would make me feel. And I think part of like the, like the, the trick is like, for me, I have an inner drive and an ambition that is a part of who I am and I value it. And so that's never going away. And so I think like entrepreneurship and building companies will always be a part of my life because it's something I enjoy. And it also, like I, I opened up the conversation with like forces me to be a more well-rounded human and actually show up consistently and dedicate myself to, to something. And in that way, it like creates a life process for me that is actually leads to happiness, but knowing that the achievement at the end goal is actually like, won't lead to happiness. It's the whole, it's the whole journey, not the destination thing that you hear repeated kind of constantly. But I, I mean, I completely agree with you and it's cool that we connect on that because there's lots of, I think entrepreneurs and people who don't, uh, they just don't think about it that way or don't contemplate it for whatever reason, maybe wouldn't agree. Well, I'm enjoying the adventure and the adventure is much better and more fruitful now that I'm not obsessed with, you know, the money, just the the fun. Um, okay, so let's talk about this. Why did you start this business? Like what was going on in your life and what was in your head and why, why, why did you think there was a need here? So we actually, when we started Grin, it was, we focused on a different problem. So we were actually working with creators. And so not a lot of people know this, but this is a pivot for us. So we had uh, built this cross-promotion marketplace for YouTubers like way before there was like creator-side products. So it was super early. And we had some good traction. We were able to raise money, but it just ended up, we, we realized like through that process that there was some fundamental flaws in the business and that it was never going to be like a big company that has legacy and is really enduring over a long period of time. So we made the very kind of painful decision to pivot the company. 
it was me and a, a co-founder, Brian. And that was like a very kind of dark period of my life just because, yeah, you have something you've kind of poured your heart and soul into. And then to see the writing on the wall and actually accept that it's not working is just very challenging. And so then we looked at influencer marketing and our whole thesis originally was people are treating influencer marketing like advertising and it's similar, but it's not the same primarily because when the endorsement goes through the person, the person needs to believe what they're saying in order for it to work. And you can't buy belief. You can only inspire it through either brand building or relationship building. And so our view was that the whole hyper transactional marketplace network model that was in the space was just of the wrong business model. And the right business model would be about empowering the inside team at the brand to own these direct relationships over a long period of time. And so that was, that was the original thesis. We launched with that, with a, a product um, in early 2017. It immediately started resonating with brands. And, you know, we've been on a very fast growth trajectory since then. And we think, you know, this will be a company when you look back on it in 20 years, will be a mainstay, very large public company that will have changed the way that modern brands operate is how we think. Um, okay, can we go back to this time that was painful? Um, <laughs> I mean, there's just so much to learn, you know, for, um, when we look at these hard moments um, about like how much time passed between before you and your co-founder looked at each other and said, um, we don't think that this is feasible and viable to when you actually made the decision to switch gears. Probably like 18 months. Yeah, I think. Wow, that's a long time. 12 to 18 months. I think it's a hard balance of like, how you need to like get enough signals. You need to actually try to see it through because you don't want to mistake like a not viable business for just like a lack of execution to get in front of the customers, like with the right message. Um, so like 12 to 18 months, I would say. And what is the most joyful part of growing Grin for you now? I think, well, a couple of things, watching people grow in their career is really exciting. Like we have some people who joined like sub 10 employees that are still here with us that, um, have been able to just grow so much over the years, which has been really awesome. I think the culture that we've built, like we've really built a culture, like our whole core, core purpose as a company is around growth and authenticity. And so the way we think about that is like personal, professional business growth in that order. Like you're expected to be growing personally. If you're growing personally, you're growing professionally and we get those things right. Our business grows and our customers grow. And then authenticity, like we're creating a more, just real and authentic buying experience for consumers rather than being interrupted with ads. And there's a, there's like, we unpack it a lot, but I think that and the core values we have as a company, like one of the benefits you get of being a, one of the founders is like you get to create the culture in the way that you want to design it. And I think we have like a culture in our company that I would really want to be a part of, like regardless of if I was one of the founders or not. And so that I think has been super fulfilling and actually see that come to fruition. And, and it's not perfect. Like not everybody likes it all the time and it's hard and people are held accountable, but you know, it is a place I think that people enjoy working because of the type of culture that we've built, which is pretty awesome. Um, it's amazing to hear that. Cause I started my entrepreneurial journey because the culture wasn't working for me, you know, where I was at. And I looked around and I'm like, I'm not going to get this year. And I'm also not going to get it anywhere. <laughs> like I literally didn't think I would get what I needed. So I just started my own business because, you know, there was no other option. Um, so I love, you know, meeting people who are changing the name of the game so that people can feel fulfilled and appreciated and valued and learn a lot. Yeah. Agreed. 
So I want to ask you this question. Um, I was just talking with a friend who has a podcast. His whole focus is routines. And when he was asking me about what my routines are like, I don't know. I don't think I have one. Um, do you have a daily routine? Like, do you wake up at like six and go to the gym and blah, blah, blah? Like, is there a, a standard like way Brandon starts his day and ends his day? Yeah, so I'm not perfect, but I definitely, I try to stick to routines and it kind of is up and down. I usually wake up like, in the sixes, like mid to late sixes, depending. And what I try to do is go downstairs and before I open up my phone or anything, I just like kind of slowly wake up and I try to write in my journal and or meditate. Um, And so I do that each day, usually, not always, but I did that this morning, where I'll spend like 30, 45 minutes just by myself before, and I'm typically the only one down there, and I'll write in my journal and meditate and kind of just think about how I'm feeling and like just brain dump whatever's in my head. Uh, and then like a little bit before eight, I log on and check all my email. And so I just like try to knock out anything that came in over the night that is quick. I don't do like projects or anything at that time um, and knock out all my email. And then I'll either work out usually from like 8.30 to 9.30 or I will start writing and I write. Um, I try, part of what I like to do is write, like synthesize strategy, things like that helps me think more clearly. Um, and then I try to be, I try to not have any meetings before like 10 to 11 outside meetings. And I try to use that morning to really like exercise, journal, work on projects, clear my inbox and just get ready for the day. And then I start external meetings, I try to not start them until like 10 to 11. And do you have a routine at the end of the day as well? Uh, less so. I've kind of gone back and forth on these. One thing that I started doing, which I haven't been doing lately, admittedly, but it was actually quite helpful, was a practice called appreciation and gratitude. And so you basically go through, and in the same journal, you write down three things that you appreciate about yourself. So I appreciate that I am able to sleep well. I appreciate that you know I show up for my friends or whatever it ends up being. And then gratitude, like, oh, I'm so grateful for this awesome house. Like I'm grateful for how sunny it was today. Um, and you just do three and three and that's like a pretty, I think I found it useful. I've slowed down on that, but I'll do that, especially if I'm going through like a tough time, either personally or at work. Like I'll try to do that to reframe myself and just remind myself like, look, like a lot of it has to do with your outlook, um, and how you think about the world can, uh, help. And so that's something I do in the evenings. Okay, so I really want your morning routine. I don't know why I'm not able or haven't chosen to adopt it. I feel like in life, I've I've tiptoed into this world of setting aside time and, you know, doing the meditation and uh, the journaling. And I think I need like some coaching offline from you. Like I, I want it. I crave it. I just am unwilling to make it a practice. So I, I need to work through this. Maybe I need some therapy and coaching on this topic. But I um, I desire it. <laughs> like, I really want that. Um, and one thing I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. One thing I found, the reason I do that is because as soon as you open up your phone, it's just, it's like wartime. It's like, it's the news. It's like text messages. It's Slack. It's email. And there's always something that's going to like invade my headspace. And it doesn't, doesn't always necessarily bad, but it's like the stock market or a news headline or some problem at work or something happened with someone in my family or someone's upset or something. And so I just really try to not look at my phone. And then I take that time to just like 
be with myself really in the morning before I go be with everybody else all day. Um, I really enjoy it. Sorry to cut you off. Okay, I want that. That you are the universe brought you to my Instagram live today because I needed to hear this. I crave it. I'm going to try, but I'm going to probably email you for some tips. <laughs> I'll do my best. Okay, my last question. Um, this idea of being seduced by success is really meaningful to me. I feel like um, it's kind of followed me my whole entrepreneurial journey, even you know before I was an entrepreneur. Um, I get a little taste for you know one of my goals, and then I just want more and more and more. And I know that the more hours I put into work, the more I can get it. But yet, there's other things in my life I want to do other than work. So I'm just curious um, if you feel like success seduces you and how you navigate saying either yes or no to that seduction? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a super like powerful question for sure. And it's something that I've struggled with over the years. I feel like today I have a really healthy relationship with it. I think, I mean, if you think about just my prior career, like in a way I've always been pretty like work identified, like a big part of my like social identity was like being the rebel guy. It was like really neat. I could get into all the events, all the parties. I knew everybody it was really fun. And then when I started Grin, it was the same thing. It was like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm building this tech company. But what I found is that like, it's a very like tricky balance because what ends up happening if you're too over-invested in your ego and identity and work, like you start to conflate like your self-worth with your work performance. And as you know, like work performance goes up and down oftentimes due to things that are out of your control, but not, you know, not always, but oftentimes. And so what I've really spent a lot of time like over the years doing is like separating my self-identity and self-worth from work and saying like those two things are separate, like they can coexist, but like Brandon as a person, like I have value just as a brother and as a son and as a friend and that's completely irrespective of any type of accomplishment that I, I make at work. And I think those like that's that is very seductive because what ends up happening is like you get on this like constant never ending pursuit of like achieving more and more. And what's happening is like you're unconsciously like trying to prove your self-worth in the world. And it's it can it can lead you down like a very dark path without even really knowing it. Right. And that happened, that happened a lot um, earlier in my career, even at Grin. And so I think it's a great question. I've never heard anyone like phrase the question that way. Have you ever been seduced by success? And for sure I have. And yeah, I think I've learned a lot along the way, but don't mistake that. Like I am very ambitious and we are going to build a very large, valuable company. I'm just trying to enjoy the process and realize that, um, yeah, my value is separate from the company. And I think it's a trap lots of entrepreneurs get into. Um, yeah, this idea of the um, seduction came to me. Um, I was at um, Disney World. I think I was at Epcot. And um, I got a text from my publicist saying that Women's Wear Daily wants to do an article on something that I'm doing for the podcast. I was like, oh my God, this is like my big goal. This is like the goal. Like I had no other goals, right? <laughs> like I wanted to be in Women's Wear Daily. And um I got that taste in my mouth. I'm like, oh, I, I want more of this. And I related to my relationship with sugar. Like, you know, I have like a piece of chocolate, but then it becomes, you know, every single sleeve of chocolate in the package. And it's just, I want more and more and more. And um, it's seductive because this is fun. I have a fun job, right? I get to hang out with fun, interesting people. I get to be at smart places, cool places. So um, I guess this is my Red Bull, right? Like working in the beauty industry is my equivalent to working at Red Bull. So, um, but yet 
Like I, this isn't all, all that I am, right? This isn't all that I want to do. And it's hard to say, let me put the brakes on or like, let me take a break. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think, so like, you don't want to be this and I don't say you, I don't want to be this, like this, like nothing wrong with being a monk, but this like monk who just is so enlightened that is not identified with their ego so deeply that they just don't do anything. But I also don't want to be this like rampant, crazy entrepreneur that is like crushing people and like making their work life hell to achieve some external goal. But I think there is really a way to like create balance and like ambition and drive and like your entrepreneurship adds value to your life. Because like you said, it's something you enjoy doing, the creative pursuit of it. You're around these interesting, inspiring people, but it's also not the only thing in your life. And you have value as, you know, someone who's in your family and all of these other areas in your life. And so I think those two things do have to coexist and like figuring out how to make them balance, I think is really the trick and the key because my brain like goes, like there's no way that I'm not gonna go like tinker and build things. Um, but I also wanna be able to yeah, weather the ups and downs and like I said, kind of separate myself from those things. So I think the trick is the balance, but it's hard for sure. Well, um, thank you, Brandon, so much for your honest answers and your authenticity and um, generosity in this interview. I love learning more about you. And I am totally going to email you for some tips about how to um, start a new morning routine. For our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Brandon. Please subscribe to our series on your favorite podcast app. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.